Welcome to Sanford on Security, where each episode, American Security Council Foundation Senior Analyst Lawrence Sanford brings you the latest in national security news and events. Mr. Sanford served as a communications officer aboard a destroyer in the U.S. Pacific Fleet, followed by four years as an officer in the clandestine services of the CIA. If you would like to support the American Security Council Foundation, please visit www.ascf.us. Thanks so much, and have a great day. Good day. My name is Lawrence Sanford. I am the security analyst with American Security Council Foundation in Florida. Our mission is to educate Americans on issues of national security, economic security, and moral leadership. Our motto is peace through strength. Today's session is with Lieutenant General Pat Hughes, a distinguished serviceman in the U.S. Army who started off as an enlisted person and ended up as Lieutenant General. His most distinguished position was Director of Intelligence Agency. He also served as an executive in the defense industry at uh, present-day L3 Harris. He has previously spoken with us in regards to domestic intelligence agencies, and today he's going to talk about the current situation in the Ukraine. So uh, welcome to American Security Council, General, and uh, please proceed with uh, your discussion on the Ukraine. Hey, Larry. Well, uh, it's great to be with you again. Um, I guess I'll just make a few comments and then see if you have any questions, if that's okay. Um, you know, the, the situation in Ukraine is, I think, well known to everyone who watches TV. It's covered uh, internationally and, uh, of course, here in the United States, uh, coverage of all different kinds uh, in virtually every media platform. So I think the, the bottom line is the tactical situation, which is, of course, uh, ever-changing, uh, is pretty hard to project or predict is where it's going. As an example, uh, a couple days ago, looks like the Russians were making uh, pretty good progress around the area of Kharkiv, uh, pronounced by Americans often as Kharkiv, a city in the uh, northeast and very close to the Russian border. Now, today, the reports are that the Ukrainians have successfully pushed Russian uh, forces out of most of the areas around the city of Kharkiv, a little bit to the north and to the uh, east of that city, uh, and they seem to own uh, quite a bit of that territory. The speculation is that the Russian forces will now refigure, reconfigure, uh, maybe rearm and refit a little bit, and then try again. And meanwhile, they're going to shell Kharkiv, and uh, they have been, and they're going to continue to do that. So that's that kind of a microcosm of the story here, shifting balance between ground forces and who owns particular areas. Uh, but the constant in all of this is bombardment, mostly from the Russians against Ukrainian built-up areas and urban zones and, uh, of course, uh, key city names. So contrast that news with the news in the south and to the west, the, the city of Kherson, or Kherson, depending on how you say it, 
in that city, uh, the uh, mostly a Russian-speaking population, they have apparently, this is, uh, you know, fairly new news here today, they have apparently decided to, uh, I, I wouldn't say, I shouldn't say the people in the city, the people who are ostensibly in charge now in that city have petitioned the Russians to include them in the Russian annexation or Russian-controlled territory in the Ukraine. And uh, if you look on the map, that city is just a little bit north, but a little bit east, uh, excuse me, a little bit west of, uh, of the Odessa, or excuse me, of the Crimea region, and a little bit east of Odessa. So uh, that, uh, that's kind of an interesting change. Uh, that doesn't mean that all the people in Kherson uh, would like to go become a part of the Russian Federation, but the people who are in charge, who have a voice, are able to say they'd like to join up with the Russians. And in my view, parenthetically, you can hear the request in the background, please stop shelling our city. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, I would agree. Uh, yeah. yeah. So meanwhile, uh, Odessa... Uh, arguably uh, one of the older, more um, iconic cities, if you will, in, in that part of the world, actually, with a long history, uh, of course, of uh, uh, back and forth ownership or occupation of that city by a variety of imperialist forces over the years, um, that city is being heavily shelled. And bombarded. Uh, Excuse not, me. Not, where's it being shelled from? Well, it's being shelled from the sea, from the Black Sea, uh, from uh, both, I think, surface and subsurface platforms. And so uh, shelling maybe is the wrong word. Uh, bombardment by missilery is really what's going on there. I would th uh, there are also air launch missiles. I would think uh, that from, the navy. I would think that, that navy, though, would be a little gun shy after what happened to the cruiser in Moscow. Moscow. It, it's all about distance away from the uh, shore, and uh, whether or not you're moving, and whether or not you have um, anti-ship protection capability or anti-missile protection capability uh, to interfere with incoming uh, missiles. So. The, the Neptune missile, which is highly regarded as a shore-to-ship or ship-to-ship anti-ship missile, is probably what has killed at least one major vessel, uh, wounded another one or damaged it. And then there have been several small vessels that have been, uh, I think, completely damaged by a combination of maybe... Uh, uh, missiles and drones. I think uh, a killer drone has been used in, in at least one case. And interestingly enough, there's one good snippet of uh, video now showing from a drone showing a anti-ship missile hitting a Russian uh, vessel on Snake Island. It's a very good video and uh, it kind of points up the, the combination of technologies and problems that you have here. Yes. So so now to kind of summarize the issue in the east of Ukraine, um, it's, it's hard to draw a line, but uh, uh, basically the Russians have not uh, acquired territory or been able to hold territory 
with the exception of the area around Mariupol, which of course is generally in their hands. Much is made about 100 remaining civilians and maybe even up to 1,000 Ukrainian troops who are underneath the um, uh, steel factory and underneath uh, the ground and are not uh, capable of fighting uh, beyond self-protection. And so, uh, you know, it's a, it's a kind of a, a moral point, a moral victory, if you will, that they're still there. But it is a futile statement to say yes. that Mariupol hasn't fallen. It, yeah. it has, basically. Yes. So, yeah, so it, you kind of make an arc in the East, incremental gains, inconsistent holding, uh, inability to sustain uh, movement, and, and the rest of Ukraine is kind of uh, occasional missilery, occasional shelling. That's it. Yeah, yeah. So, so now I, I'll just uh, end my comments here by saying that the big questions really have to be now not not tactical issues, uh, although one can look at the tactical situation and kind of wonder about it, but. The big issues are three. What's Russia's, uh, if not goal, what is their intent? Uh, and, uh, you know, that might be a variable thing. They might intend to do one thing one day and another thing next. But if they have a strategic intent, what is it? Uh, bullet number two, uh, what's the effect of the apparent inability of the Russian military to sustain themselves in uh, tactical positions and hold territory or hold ground. And uh, there, there's a lot of parenthetical issues in that second bullet. One is, what the hell is going on with Russia's technology? Uh, we had a report yesterday about a, uh, a Russian fighter, uh, excuse me, a Russian attack helicopter, I believe, which had a commercial handheld GPS taped to the dashboard in the cockpit of the helicopter. <laughs> yes. And quite a few of their missiles, uh, call, let's call them rockets, missiles, shells, whatever, have either failed to explode or have been off target quite a bit. And so um, you just have to ask yourself some questions about that. Conversely, by the way, parenthetically in this, this sec, uh, concern of uh, what about the Russian military and their inability to, to uh, act like a, maybe one of the more powerful militaries in the world, how about the Ukrainians? How about them Ukrainians? Uh, admittedly, with Western help. But the, uh, the Javelin missile, the Stinger, uh, a couple of other lesser-known similar kinds of missiles and uh, some very good guerrilla warfare capability where small teams, three, four, five guys, find a vantage point, get a, a view of some target, and they can take it out. And they, and they have, with alarming accuracy and effect, to include the newest Russian tank, the T-90. They have absolutely defeated the T-90 on two or three occasions that were photographed 
and the imagery is there for all to see. The last of three points is, what about Russia? Uh, in, in the long run, forget Ukraine. Set Ukraine aside, if you can, in, in this thought. Whither goes Russia uh, in the context of the larger issue of Europe, NATO, European Union, etc., and, of course, in the larger uh, world? And the answers are very difficult to to make simple, but one clear possibility is that they they fail in this endeavor. They withdraw and they try to reconstitute themselves as a member of the community of nations. I think that's the the best bet, the most logical outcome. But I don't know if if Putin or others in his entourage can handle that concept. It can come to grips with the fact that uh, Russia mounted an invasion. It was fatally flawed from the beginning because uh, the, the force amassed did not equal the territory involved and technology on the Russian side was inadequate to the task at hand versus the idea that they can somehow keep some little piece of territory that actually they had already. Uh, we, we might call it the Donbass Minus. And now they do have this land bridge down to, at least part of it, down to uh, uh, the Crimea. Keep that. Go, go back to their own uh, devices. Stop the bombardment and not, let's recover from all this. I, I, I don't know. I don't know if they'll do that. Yeah, it's, it's hard to say. I, uh, uh, I read an interesting book called Putin's Playbook by Rebecca Kofler. And her basic premise is that Putin's been talking about this for 20 years. And even if he's not there, his cronies around him, the ruling class, believe in the cause that... Uh, uh, almost a holy Russia, that uh, the Ukraine belongs to Russia, and whether Putin's in charge or not, the Russian leadership wants a slug of the Ukraine, especially that part of the Ukraine that is uh, Russian-speaking. So I, I'm not optimistic that they're going to do anything, which leads me to my next question, that if they continue to face this stalemate at best, but if things start to turn south for the Russians, do you think there's a chance that they'd use tactical nuclear weapons? Uh, tell me again what, what was your statement there? If they... If, if things turn south on the Russians, that things aren't working, working out for them, that uh, would they resort to nuclear tactical weapons? Um, once again, I, I find fault with all prognosticators, including myself, <laughs> uh, about what the Russians would do because the... Uh, uh, the answer may maybe you know maybe they could, but the, the the effect the net effect of that would be disastrous, and it would be disastrous for them as much as for anyone else. So I I just don't know. Uh, could they? Yes. Would they? Not sure. Not yeah. sure. Yeah. It, well, was it Churchill that said that the Russians were an enigma wrapped within an enigma, wrapped in an enigma, or something like that? So, 
Yeah, well, and, and uh, you know, my history with the Russians, which is mainly with the GRU, uh, the Russian Military Intelligence Service, <laughs> led me to believe that um, they were very overrated, highly overrated. I've said that for many years now. Uh, they were dogmatic to the point of being incapable of a new idea. One of their problems, I think, I happen to believe, but I, I don't have uh, very good evidence for this in Ukraine, but I think it's true. They, they are missing what I would call junior to middle leadership. Uh, sergeants, seamen, chiefs, uh, uh, young officers like uh, lieutenants and captains and, uh, uh, you know, uh, those kind of guys aren't there in the same way that they are in the West. Yes. Uh, so you, you find the maybe the lieutenant colonels leading combat units, they have no business leading. And you find generals on the battlefield talking on their commercial telephones with impunity until a missile flies into their telephone because it's the best emitting signal on the battlefield and kills them. You know, this yeah. is just, you couldn't make this, <laughs> but, yeah. but there, there it is. So I, I just think they're missing a leadership echelon and they're missing people, by the way, at that echelon who can make decisions. Yes. You know, in our in our uh, military, for example, sergeants and lieutenants can make decisions in the tactical environment. Yes. Yeah. Not true uh, uh, with these guys. Yeah. So if this continues for a while, I mean, parts of the world are very dependent upon Russian and Ukrainian food supplies, the wheat and so forth. So. Is grain going to be able to be exported out of the Ukraine if the Russians are bombing Odessa, which is a major port? Well, how is the grain from Ukraine going to get to Africa and other parts of the world? Well, the, the answer is not whether it can get there. It can. The, the issue is cost. <laughs> you know, it can, uh, there's a lot of ways to move it, I guess. But uh, first, you have to cultivate it. And harvest it. Yes. And I don't think that's going on in the in the way it normally does. But I think the answer has to be that we're going to suffer for at least a couple of years, maybe longer, with uh, inadequate uh, agricultural production. And parenthetically, just kind of follows on with your question, uh, several of the city areas and the east of Ukraine was the industrial belt of Ukraine, which was, in, in my view anyway, assessed by U.S. intelligence for a long time to be arguably the most capable, most advanced, best industrial base of any of the East European countries was in Ukraine. So it's, agriculture has been disrupted, so has the industrial base. Yes. Yeah, that steel factory in Maripol is what is it, the largest uh, steel was the largest steel factory in Eastern Europe or maybe Europe itself. One of two. Yeah, there were two there, and uh, uh, in that area, and yeah, it's uh, it's amazing what has happened. And uh, I, I, I've 
I'm so frustrated. I want to throw something at the television occasionally because I hear the television commentators reporting this in a kind of a, well, the war continues and then everything is happening. You know, there's a lot of problems and wring our hands and old ladies get interviewed and husbands are missing. Or today they were talking about the, the husband of a wife who's still living. She found her husband's body. Uh, all his fingers had been cut off. Hands were tied and he was shot in the back of the head. Her report. Yeah. Absolutely inhuman. Yeah. Worth reporting. But it does nothing to inform the public about the broader, larger issues of utter destruction, disruption, uh, disorganization, and eventually some form of recovery that will take years. Yeah. yeah. And, by the way, parenthetically, who will pay for it? Yes. Yeah. The argument that, that Putin was, as the Pope Francis said, uh, shouldn't poke uh, the eye of the Russians. And so the westward, eastward expansion of NATO, do you think that was an unnecessary provocation of the Russians or that was just, that's just an excuse for the Russians to do what they were going to do anyways? I, I would like to think logically that it's a little bit of both. Yeah, yeah. I, I do think there are some, you know, we, we have to put ourselves in the Russian context. Yes. Uh, they have been, as you pointed out earlier, uh, this is not something that happened this past couple of months. It's something that happened and has been talked about and discussed for many years. I, I think you know, I believe I told you that I made a trip at the request of uh, a certain authorities here in the United States, along with two other retired generals, to the Ukraine in 2015. Did I tell you that? I, if you did, I do not recall. <laughs> okay, well, I did. Okay. <laughs> and and our, our job was to, uh, three old generals, uh, one, uh, the senior guy on the team was General Wes Clark, uh, for several years, a European kind of guy and a European uh, commander of uh, U.S. European and U.S. Uh, NATO command in Europe. Uh, a logistician, a general named Caldwell, and an intelligence guy, me. Okay. And we three went in 2015, in March 2015, uh, and we went uh, to Kiev, uh, to a couple areas nearby, and then we went out to the east to the battle area. Uh, we went to uh, by commercial aircraft to... Uh, uh, a city out there in the uh, east. Then we went by ground transportation, uh, I might add, a harrowing journey into Donetsk, uh, went into the trenches, ate with the soldiers, uh, saw firsthand fighting and, and concerns, and left by Russian helicopter flying Nap of the Earth, uh, which scared the living dickens out of me, by the way. Yeah, I'm sure. <laughs> and, yeah, pretty exciting. Yeah. So anyway, the, the long story short is we wrote a report after that trip, which was what we were supposed to do. And ostensibly, we, we three were experienced old guys who had been in war 
and who had been in the Cold War and knew something about the Russians. In that report, we said, the U.S. has to change its policy. We have to support these guys. We have to train them. We have to anticipate uh, uh, warfare here. The Russians are going to come back. It's a matter of when, not if. Yes. And we thought they were coming sooner. Uh, so now, flash forward. Why do I tell you that story? Flash forward to today. Uh, the strategic thinking that should be going on, and I believe it is, I hope it is, with younger, better minds than, than mine, are, are going to have to fashion some ideas about what will come in the future. There may be, you know, 10 or 15 possibilities. Kind of narrow that down to two or three. But, but somebody has to figure out what the likelihood of a strategic decision-making by Russia and by the other participants in this conflict, which are well beyond just Ukraine, obviously NATO, the United States, parenthetically, uh, now NATO expansion, uh, agricultural net effect globally, uh, oil and gas uh, issues that affect God knows who, everybody. Uh, there's just a, a wide web of issues. And somebody has to uh, develop a body of knowledge about that. And then some part of that should be communicated to the American people. So my, my complaint about the TV is that's not coming across. Yeah, It's, it's the daily battlefield, emotional, difficult, admittedly horrific, immoral set of problems that all wars bring, especially to innocent people. Yeah. I understand that. Yeah. But somebody's got to see the future and help us decide what to do. Yeah. The old movie about if it bleeds, it leads in the, in the media. That seems to be continuing in the strategy. So, <laughs> yeah, it's a, you know, <laughs> just uh, very difficult for me to watch some of this uh, broadcasting on television as I, I want to scream out to them, we got it. Yeah. Somebody cut the fingers off this poor man. His yeah. hands were tied behind his back and he was shot dead. Yeah. We got it. Yeah. Now, what's the larger problem and the possibility? And if it, by the way, let's suppose that it is, as you uh, postulated, a nuclear weapon. What the hell do we do? I know. Good question. Yeah. I just and, saw. I just saw where the Ukraine just shut off gas and oil to the western Western Europe. So what the heck's that mean? You know. So they just. Well, shut, it's gonna. It's gonna have an effect. Yeah, they just shut off a pipeline. So. Of course, they've got two shaky countries there: uh, Hungary, which which uh, did not want to go along with the natural gas. Yeah. Um, embargo. Yeah. And, I, you know, I certainly, if I was a Hungarian and wanted to be warm this winter, I could understand that. Yeah. And, yeah. and then the other country that's actually seems to be pretty uh, interesting here is Finland. Not a NATO partner, but thinking of joining. Yes. Yeah. Sweden's thinking of coming with them. Yeah, I'm surprised. That, I must say, I'm surprised. Yeah. Well, that, that exacerbates. That, that actually, <coughs> on the surface, sounds pretty good. 
but it beneath the surface it exacerbates the problem Russia has already stated they have. Yeah, I agree. And Finland certainly did a pretty good job back in 38, 1938, 39 against the Russians. So I don't know if they the did Russians, a good job. Yeah. yeah. I don't know if they'd want to fool around with them again either. So, <laughs> yeah. so, well, it's one of those things that the more you study it, sometimes the, the more you realize you don't know what's going to happen. You don't know what all the stories are. I, uh, uh, I'm just hoping and praying, as you do, that uh, things settle down and... Uh, Russia walks away with what they want to a limited degree, and uh, Ukraine settles down and keeps most of their territory. I, I find it hard to believe that the Russians will ever give up the land bridge from Crimea up through the uh, Donbass. They will not give up that land bridge. They don't want Crimea I, to be- I don't, I don't think they would give it up willingly. Yes, yeah. They, they could be driven out, I suppose. Uh, you know, I. I think there are quite a large number of analysts and people who believe that the Ukraine is capable of winning, end quote, the war. Um, Do you? The, 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 well, the, you know, the Russians, uh, once, that's another thing I learned about the Russians when I was dealing with them, is they are thugs. Yes. And um, like all thugs, uh, they, they will start out with a club. They'll try to club you into submission. If that doesn't work, they'll pull out a knife. If that doesn't work, they'll pull out a gun. If that doesn't work, the gang will show up armed with guns and they'll confront you with overwhelming force. If that doesn't work, they'll run away and try again another day. <laughs> I think, I think the Russians are at the club stage. They have not yet pulled out their knife. Okay. They have not yet uh, devolved to guns. In, in, in my figurative example here, okay. metaphorically. Okay. So uh, I don't, I think they're a long way from running away. Yeah. But if, if they could reach a, a good agreement with Ukrainian government to keep some part of what they have, including that land bridge, they might do it. Well, let's they hope might. so. Let's hope so, General. I uh, see our time is rapidly ending. Is there any final thoughts? My only final thought is I appreciate your information and your insights, and I think it's terrific. Sure. Again, thank you for participating. Yeah, I'll give you my one final thought real quick before we wrap up. Uh, we've talked about um, an area of the world which is fairly well-defined and actually not very big comparatively. If you look at the rest of the world, including our the traditional threat countries that we know about so well, uh, and led by China, which is still, my view, the, the uh, primary existential threat against the United States. I agree. And if you look at all of the other turmoil that either is ongoing or has the potential to be ongoing, including inside our own country, 
I would refer to this as an unsettled global condition trending toward uh, disorder. Okay. Okay. It certainly is uh, disorderly, that's for sure. So, and you're right, we have other threats going on. Sometimes it almost seems, where do you start and where do you even begin in uh, addressing when, when's these? The last, when's the last time you saw a uh, kind of a frontline report on Iran, North Korea, Pakistan, India, People's Republic of China, anything in this hemisphere, or Africa. Well, it's my job to pay attention to these things, but you're right. It certainly doesn't get much press coverage. That's for sure. Yeah. 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 And you know, we're talking not not about you or me. We're talking about the people of the United States. You have to kind of understand the larger uh, context and the larger dynamic, but don't. Yeah, well, that's that's another issue in itself, I'm sure. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah. Okay. okay. Well, again, General, it's been great talking to you again, and I appreciate your time and your intelligence. Thank you very nice, much. Nice talking to you, and I hope uh, everyone there on the uh, uh, middle coast of Florida is uh, doing well. We're all doing well. Same to you. Thank you very much. Bye. Bye.